week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at Fansets.com. Fansets. We are Star Trek. Family, curiosity, and an insatiable quest for knowledge. Short Trek's episode three, The Brightest Star, shined brightly this past week and gave Discovery fans exactly what we've been waiting for. A true Star Trek story about our beloved Saru that answered some questions, had us asking questions, and had us shedding tears as well. There's just so much to talk about here, so let's get right into it. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. Season 2 is coming along in just a few weeks, and to make that wait a little easier to handle, we are being gifted with new mini-episodes every month until then. And with Short Trek's Episode 3, entitled The Brightest Star, I am truly giddy with anticipation for Season 2 and our weekly discussions for all things Discovery. As always, this is the premier podcast to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about our favorite spore-jumping starship and her crew, and whether it's a full-season episode or a 15-minute short trek, we're here to break it all down, give our opinions, and look ahead to what we think what will happen next. And you know, as always, when I say we, well, it's time to introduce my irreplaceable co-host. His thirst for knowledge is second to none. His ingenuity and desire to learn is legendary. If he stepped on a shuttlecraft never to return, I just don't know what I would do. You know, he is my very special friend. He's my brother in Trek. He is the one. He is the only Bill Smith. And Bill, we have been waiting for this one for a long time, and we were not disappointed in the slightest, were we, bud? No, we certainly were. Thanks, buddy. Uh, it's so great to be back on Discovering Trek to talk about this fantastic Short Treks episode, although I do have to tell you, you know, in all disclosure, if Michelle Yeoh shows up in a shuttlecraft outside my house and says, hey, come on with us. You're brilliant. I'm out of here, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay. Um, thanks. Uh, I love you, too. <laughs> it is It is great. It is great to be here. Um, it's great to be talking about this episode. Finally, we've been waiting for it for a while. Um and I'm sure that there are a lot of our listeners who might have things that they want to say about this particular episode and our beloved Saru, as I mentioned earlier. So how might they contact us, my good man? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Hailing frequencies are open, Dan, and we're transmitting friendship messages in all languages on all frequencies, including even using the recently discovered Baul technology. Very excited about that. There aren't many screens, but it says a whole lot. You can discover us on Twitter at Discovering Trek. And of course, on Yield Book of Faces, we can be found at facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. In either place, you can join in on the discussion, even leave us comments, questions, or suggestions, maybe even messages that we can send back to Starfleet using that same technology. Plus, don't forget, you can also send us a voicemail by going to trekgeeks.com, clicking on that giant blue button on the right-hand side of the website. Please do remember, though, that any comments you could leave us might be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. 
So here we are at episode three, Bill. You and I have both been somewhat critical of the first two episodes of Short Treks. Uh, they didn't win us over. Um, I especially did not like the last one, Calypso. I didn't really think it was very Star Trekish uh, to me. But we've been waiting for this one, The Brightest Star, for a long time. So let's get your general thoughts on this particular one, uh, focusing in on the character of Saru. What do you think? You know, I think that the concept of Short Treks is a fantastic one. And I think that... I was waiting for the episode that would seem the most like uh, an hour long standalone episode on its own. And the first two installments, um, uh, runaway and Calypso didn't do that. They were fragments of episodes. They were B stories. Um, they weren't necessarily scripts that could carry an episode on its own the way they were written. And I thought that was the fundamental flaw in those episodes. The brightest star, um, did what I had hoped short treks would always do and more. It expanded the lore of star Trek. It gave us a very star Trek story with a character that we all have grown to love in such a short amount of time. And it, it, it told us something of how he got to where he is now. And I think that that's really key. We've had lots of questions about Saroon. We've got even more questions since watching this. But it, it was a fantastic 15 minutes. And uh, for me, there are no wasted moments in this episode. So I think it's a huge success. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think it's by far the best of the three that we've had so far. Um, in my notes, I wrote awesome four or five times. To me, this episode kind of had a Logan's Run feel to it, especially with how uh, – we'll get into it more. Uh, I don't want to give away too many spoilers right now, but um, – it it, it it felt like Logan's run, and it also had a little bit of uh, TNG's half a life in my mind with Timison and what happened with them when they reached a certain age. Um, I loved it. I thought it was great. Like you said, it answered a lot of questions and a lot of key questions, but at the same time, it did cause some questions to be thought up by both of us, I think. Doug Jones was phenomenal. The episode was phenomenal. The writing, the direction, it was all thumbs up. I loved it. I, I have to agree with you. You know, th the whole thing worked conceptually, uh, visually. The music mm. was amazing. Um, I, I don't think Doug Jones could turn in a bad performance if he tried. Um, he was fantastic. But everybody in this was fantastic. I think the casting was spot on. And, I mean, if, if rumors are true, I mean, we may see some of these people again in Discovery's second season as we're supposed to come back to, you know, Saru's planet. So maybe mm -hmm. we see the aftermath of his leaving, or maybe we get to see some of those relationships um, become fractured. That will be very interesting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what, Hey, you know what? We just had our long range sensor. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't want to spoil it. No pun intended. Black alert. Black alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Short Trek's The Brightest Star, abandon this podcast right now to be educated in the episode over at CBS All Access. But unlike Saru, come right back over here for our great discussion. So Saru dreams of something more. He sees a whole bunch of Kelpians go somewhere in the harvest. We're not really sure where. There's a piece of technology he's supposed to get rid of. He doesn't. 
He winds up tinkering with it, sends a message, winds up uh, going to the top of a mountain, leaving his sister behind, getting met by a shuttlecraft. Hey, Lieutenant Giorgio, what up? And then he decides, you know what? Maybe I am going to go with you. I'm out of here. Harvest? Meh. The end. Gold. <laughs> now that's that's what Another... sinc sincerest apologies to Bowie and Erica. Um, <laughs> it, it's hard for me to recap what I thought was a, a, uh, almost a perfect 15 minutes. So um, I decided to take a little more lighthearted. Um, uh, but I mean, seriously, it's 15 minutes. Everybody should check it out. Yeah, the breakdown, as always, Bill, was awesome. So let's get right into it. Let's let's start with the likes. And you just mentioned it. Uh, Bojan Kim, Eric Lippolt's writing. We have been waiting for this episode for a long time because we knew who was going to be writing this. Uh, we've loved both of these writers since Discovery first aired, and their contributions continue to surpass our expectations. And even in this short, 15-minute short trek, the writing here is top notch. It is, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to the writings for the first two short treks, but this is on a plateau so much higher than the first two. In my opinion, I was completely and, and unabashedly taken into this episode right from the get go uh, with the writing from Bowie and Erica. What about you? Yeah, there's something to be said for having writers who have been helping to, to shape and develop and write these characters along the way turn in a story like this. And I think that's part of the reason why the brightest star works so well. You know, the first two had people who didn't necessarily write for discovery before. And I think that it showed honestly, you know, with, with Bowie and Erica's script, I, I think that it, it helps us grow Saru as a character. I think we're informed more as to why he is the way he is. And plus it, it's, it gets to play on everything they've known about him before. So I, I agree with you. That's It's my first like of the episode. They turn in what it amounts to a fantastic Star Trek script and a wonderful short story all in one. If this were in a novelization form, I could easily see it being in one of those blish books of the 1970s that I just treasure so much. That's how good a short story it is. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. One of the things that I think this episode did so brilliantly is, let's, let's take a step back for a second. People have been asking, since discovery aired, how come we've never seen any other Kelpians before? How come Saru's the only one we've seen? We've never heard of this race. We've never heard of the planet that he's from ever before. And of course you can get into retcon arguments until you're blue in the face. But I think one of the things that they did here was answer that question in an absolutely perfect way. The idea of having a one-time pass for Lieutenant uh, Giorgio to come down and see if Saru wanted to join Starfleet, knowing that he could never return to his home planet or see his family again. It made perfect sense. And Bill, I can live with it because I can live with it. <laughs> that was fantastic. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that there had to be a reason like that all along. You know, uh, we know that his his species is a prey species. We know that they're herded like cattle because he tells us in the Vulcan hello. You know, people have forgotten that detail. It's it's either the Vulcan hello or uh, or, or the second episode. It, but he tells us that right up in front in the first two hours in that sort of you know mm -hmm. prequel before the season starts or that that prologue, sure. if you will. So I you know I 
there are decisions here that I am completely at ease with, including the special dispensation of the prime directive. It's a, I think it's, it's a natural part of the story. I think it's a great way to work in Michelle Yeoh. As soon as I saw that shuttlecraft landing, I'm like, Oh boy, that's going to be Philippa Giorgio. And then the reasoning was, you know what? You displayed such, you know, <laughs> such knowledge and ability that we just, we, we had, we had to make contact. It's like, yep, that's perfect. You know, I've heard some people say that, you know, Sarjenka must be, you know, uh, none too happy, but this is a much different <laughs> situation than pen pals and TNG. Mm. You know, that was a distress call. And, you know, we know that, that Saru had technology he wasn't necessarily supposed to have. And I think there's a big difference here. It's amazing that you had that reaction when the shuttlecraft came down. I was completely surprised when Georgiou stepped on screen. That blew my mind. I was not expecting that at all. I don't know what I was expecting when the shuttlecraft landed, but I wasn't expecting her. So I made that, that made it even that much more special to me. I think it's great to see Michelle Yeoh has become kind of entrenched in Star Trek now because, you know, she, she, her character dies in the, in the first couple episodes of discovery season one, but yet we still get to see her in the mirror universe. We know she's going to be an integral part of season two. And now she shows up in this short Trek. So I love that she has cemented herself in star Trek lore and it was great to see her there. Um, Plus, this tells us why Saru feels such a tie to Captain Giorgio. Exactly. You know, she, she was the one that essentially helped him realize there was more to the universe than just, mm-hmm. you know, harvesting green stuff out of the sea. Interesting that the Kelpians look like they harvest kelp out of the sea. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> and then they line up, you know, for whatever that is. Uh, I assume it's a transport device that takes mm-hmm. them to the harvest. I kind of view this a little bit like the Hunger Games in a way. Um, sure. transport. Perhaps they're transported to a hunt. Perhaps we'll get those answers um, later in season two of Star Trek Discovery. But, you know, I just I could go on and on and on about this for much longer than the 15 minutes that the episode takes up. That's how that's what I want good Star Trek to do. I want it to inspire me to that kind of discussion. And this one definitely Mm -hmm. does it. Absolutely. I found myself wondering what I was going to talk about in the, especially in Calypso. And and that certainly is not the case here uh, with the brightest star. The other thing that I really liked about this episode is a subtle thing, but I really thought it stood out. And that's the look of the Kelpians. You know, I I talked to you uh, off mic at one point about how sometimes in science fiction and and in Star Trek too, you're going to get an alien race and everybody's going to look pretty much the same. All of the characters of that particular race look almost identical we saw it in the mirror universe with the kelpians when they were being uh herded off to dinner so to speak they all looked pretty much the same here just like with humans saru's family all looked different they were you could definitely tell they were kelpian but i liked the way that they had differences about the way that they looked from everything from their facial features to the way they walked i thought that was good direction to have that difference and uh I liked it. I don't know. It, it, like I said, it's a little thing, but I really, it really stood out for me. I concur with your assessment. I mean, I, I also like the casting here. I'm going to skip to my third bullet point before I come back to the second one. Um, the acting, you know, for Doug Jones and Hannah Shear and Robert Verlack and, and also the legendary Michelle Yeoh are just fantastic all around in this episode. I think there are some fantastic character beats between um, Saru's sister and Saru's father as you know, that whole family dynamic you get to see on screen. Mm -hmm. And plus the initial contact between Giorgio and Saru, 
you know, where she's got the universal translator and her communicator out. I thought that was a really effective scene. So yes. I, I'm, I think there are performances that are fantastic all around. And then doubling back to my second point and, and, you know, coming back to what you were just saying, I think the directing in this episode is fantastic. My hat is off to Doug Arniokoski and the amazing job he did with this episode. It starts off almost like a feature film. You know, it gives us a setting of, you know, this is a calm place. It's a serene place to some extent. You know, you see lots of nature shots and then you start to see people lining up to do something really weird. And then you're forced <laughs> to wonder what it is. And, and it's not, you know, the narration sort of takes you through it. But uh, I, I think that between the writing and the directing, I, I find I find it really hard to find something that's wrong with this episode. Agreed. Absolutely. I thought it was very interesting how when they were all being uh, rounded up, so to speak, for that moment, none of them seemed to be scared or really have a, a look of fear in their face until the very last second, right when before they disappeared. A couple of them looked a little off put and scared. But before that, they were just doing just as if they were just doing their job on a regular basis. I thought that was interesting. And it, it shows their beliefs uh, are very, very strong with, with the Kelpians. Well, their threat ganglia was out before that happened, before the True. ground started yep. vibrating. So you know that they knew there was some kind of danger, um, mm -hmm. although they didn't know what. I mean, they don't know what to expect from here on it at this point, right? So uh, I, I can understand that that would be the case, but you're right. I mean, largely, this is part of their society. You know, they line up when essentially their number is called for all intents and purposes, and right. they become part of the harvest. And that's really kind of a mind-blowing thing. It's almost like lining up for a disintegration chamber you know, on a, on a mini R seven. Um, right. but, but not because I'm assuming that it's not a, a giant suicide ritual. I'm assuming that they're transported somewhere else. Sure. And, and who knows what happens after that? Are there people that have gone on this harvest that are still alive? Maybe we'll find that out in season two. Like you mentioned, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, Bill, there are a couple of, of, you know, kind of smiley things that I wanted to bring up that I really liked. And then one final comment, that was the thing that this episode made me think of the most. A, I loved the music in this episode. The TOS fanfare that played when Saru decided it was time for him to leave was unbelievable. It was spot on. That's when I teared up in this episode because I'm sure a lot of people teared up. I'll bet you anything that you did as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely I did. And I did it each time I watched it because I've watched it at least a mm -hmm. handful of times by now, including three times in succession the other morning while drinking coffee. Each time, you know, it's like, man, it's dusty in here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got to get somebody to clean this place. Uh, but no, it's uh, it did what good Star Trek should do. It should speak to us emotionally. And uh, I think it it absolutely does in 15 minutes, you know. CBS has taken a lot of grief for the fan film guidelines and a lot of people saying, well, you can't tell an effective story in 15 minutes. I'm sorry. You absolutely <laughs> can, especially if you know what yeah, you're doing. You can. Yeah. yeah. And this is proof uh, that you can do it. The other thing that I liked was just the little subtle uh, salute to the Kelvin uh, timeline movies with that lens flare that we saw for a couple of scenes. I thought that was wonderful. Um, but the thing that this episode really made me think about was Star Trek, the motion picture. And in particular, one very strong scene. And that's Spock when he said, is this all that I am? Is there nothing more? This episode 
is that sentence to me. And I thought it, it, I thought it was done just beautifully. Without a doubt, you know, Saru, I'm sure he doesn't know how he knows, but he knows there has to be more. There has to be more than just lining up for the harvest. You know, why would they be there otherwise? And I think that that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's some good, solid introspection. I think it's, it's good self-awareness. You know, he knows that he can be more and the technology that he tinkers with from the Ba'ul, you know, clarifies that for him. You know, he, he knows beyond shadow of a doubt, you know, there's something else out there because I made contact with it and, you know, look where it leads him. I I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's Beautifully done. Do you have any other things particular you'd like to bring up uh, of what you liked about this episode? No, I I could go on and on and on. <laughs> I think the thing I like about it the most is that there's really nothing to dislike here. Aside from the fact that, oh man, I wish it were longer. Yeah. <laughs> That's really yeah, it. I, That's really yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. I, I got to say, uh, I'm looking at our outline right now and dislikes is we always talk about what we like and then we talk about what we dislike. I got nothing. I guess the only thing that I really could nitpick about, and this is something that's happened with other episodes, and I can't give you specifics right now because I'm so focused in on The Brightest Star, but I can't figure out if, for our benefit, we're seeing Saru write in Terran when he's writing today, or if the pad is in Terran to help us, or if it's in Kelpian so he can see. That's always confused me because then we see the universal translator being used when Giorgio was talking to Saru and we hear the different languages going back and forth. It confuses me a little bit about what we were seeing and what he was seeing and doing when it comes to that communication with the Baul view screen. Am I making any sense at all? <laughs> no, I, th- I think you are. I I'm I'm able to dismiss that a little more readily simply just because it's so secondary to what's going on for me. I'm mm-hmm. assuming that, you know, that's the message that he received. I'm not assuming he typed hello. I'm assuming that that he typed whatever or that it's translated to English for our benefit, much like the family's discussion was in English. You know, and then when he yeah. meets Georgia, we hear a bit of the the Kelpian language, which I'm pretty fascinated by, I'm gonna say. Um, because I want to hear more of that, but there aren't very many Kelpians for him to say that with. So maybe we'll see that in season two. Who knows? Very good point. Let me ask you this. The title of this episode is one that makes you start thinking. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on exactly what this title means to you? Because I know that you've got a, a, an amazing thought on what this title means. I, the brightest star is the shuttlecraft that Philippa Georgiou brings down to uh, to Saru's planet. Uh, oh my God, the name's escaping me as we record this. Caminar, uh, Caminar. Yep, that's it. Ooh, dodge that bullet. Um, and, and the brightest star is the one that Serana sees in the sky because it's the one that's taking her brother away, and she doesn't know it. Um, and it makes sense. I mean, you know, it's it's so bright that I'm sure that she had to wonder what it was to some extent, but the brightest star isn't the one that Saru saw. It's the one that led him to his new life. And Mm -hmm. when I think about it in those terms, it's like, yeah, what else could it be? It's just so perfect. 
I was going back and forth with what I thought it could mean until we had that discussion. And, and your, your thought process on that is perfect. I'm like, okay, is the brightest star the flash when they all get taken in the harvest? Is the brightest star supposed to be Saru's mind and his thirst for knowledge? And, and that Spock quote, is there nothing more? But I gotta, I gotta say your, um, thoughts on it being the shuttlecraft as it's leaving Kaminar makes perfect sense. And you, sir, should be writing television. <laughs> no, I should be watching it. I should not be in charge of writing anything. Although um, it's interesting because you watching this episode gives me a different perspective. Um, as you and I have talked about, and as we will undoubtedly talk about on Trek Geeks, I'm in the process of writing a guest piece for Star Trek.com on Saru and what he teaches mm-hmm. us about anxiety. And there are some moments where he really has to power through here. And this kind of gives me more to write about and changes the focus of some of my, of my paragraphs to some extent, because he comes from a race of fearful beings and decides to do the most courageous thing ever. If that's not Star Trek, I don't know what is. Dan, we're now less than one month away from the premiere of season two of Star Trek Discovery and rest assured that our friends at Fansets have some great things coming for this amazing looking season. Now already available on their website is the recently released Captain Christopher Pike from season two. So folks should head on over to fansets.com right away to see all the amazing pins they have to offer. They've got some awesome pins. You know, Bill, I just recently put all my episodic pins from season one in the special frame that Fansets has to offer. And I hung it up on my wall with my three other special anniversary sets. And it looks fantastic. Amazing. I have to say it looks really, really good. Um, Yes, I said it. Fantastic. Amazing. Um, You know, season two promises to have some amazing storylines, some new characters, and you better believe that fan sets will have some awesome discovery pins uh, as well for season two. When we get together uh, to talk about the last short treks, we're going to have some awesome new details about what to expect from fan sets, fan sets during season two. Fansets.com is the address, and you will not be disappointed in their amazing selection of pins. Fansets is pinpoint accuracy. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. You know, Bill, as, as we get to the, the part of the show where we talk about sensor analysis, I'm really not sure what we can bring up here that we already have not talked about. I guess the only thing I would ask is... I thought it, I don't know if this is a sensor analysis, but I thought it was convenient that the piece of Baul technology fell from wherever it fell and allowed Saru to even get to the point that he got in this episode. Did you have any problem with that? I'm not saying I had a problem with it, um, but I thought it was interesting that it just kind of happened to fall on the ground. I don't have a problem with it, you know, because I thought it was explained well enough with just a simple line of dialogue. You know, Saru's mm. father said, yeah, this happens from time to time. Just uh, get rid of it. Okay. Sure. Yeah, and hey, no, I'll get rid of it. Just let me uh, do what I got to do, and it's out of here. I, I thought it was it was simple enough. You know, they know there's technology. It's, it's just not theirs. So it makes me okay. wonder how they would have gotten rid of it. You know? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, aside mm-hmm. from that, I no, I wasn't bothered by that at all. Okay. Now, like I said, it wasn't something that bothered me. It's just something that as I rewatched the episode before we recorded it here this evening. And, and, and that's something that popped into my head both um, when I originally watched it and again this afternoon when I watched it. Okay, that's, that just showed up. It looked like a big DVD player. But I'm just going to throw that out there. Too. But anyway. <laughs> it, was, it was the world's largest iPad. There you go. It, it, actually, yeah, it was. That wasn't it. 
Long-range scan of planet complete. So as we look ahead in our long-range scan, we, we, we played on this just a little bit at the beginning of the show. What can we expect, or what do you think we can expect with Season 2? There have been hints that we're going to be returning to Kaminar. Um, and is it part of the whole Red Star storyline? Um, is it specific to Saru's family? What do you think we're going to see? Do you have any any ideas that you want to share with uh, with our listeners? Well, I mean, it's pretty much been confirmed we're going back there. So we're going back there. And I have to believe it's part of the whole Red Angel thing. Um, Because that's really the only reason. I mean, in this episode, Giorgio goes out of her way to tell Saru, you can't come back. You know, this is essentially a one-way ticket. So I have to believe it's it's part of that mystery. Perhaps one of those seven things. Of course, anything we don't understand Mm. is always called a thing. Um, maybe it's in <laughs> nice. orbit of, maybe it's an orbit of Kaminar. I don't know, but I think it has to do with the red angel somehow. Um, I, I want to go back to, to, uh, sort of the sensor analysis for just one second before we progress forward. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've sure. heard and I've seen, and I've, I've read and I've listened to a lot of comments and people saying that this episode asks more questions than it answered, or perhaps people were disappointed that they didn't learn more about the predator species. And I understand where they're coming from, but that's not what this episode was about. Right. It's not right. about the comprehensive Saru backstory or the backstory of the Kelpian people. It's the story of when Saru realized there's more to life than lining up for a hunt and got his chance to go to the stars. It's really about that one finite moment in his life and, and what it means. So while I can understand that people are, are bummed out or they think that this short should have included that I can respect where they're coming from, but I would submit to them that perhaps that detail is coming in greater amounts in season two, when we come back to this planet, because I think that makes more sense. There's more time to do it correctly. So that's, I, I want to not forget to, to, dis, to put that in the conversation. So now back to long range scan. Um, yeah, I didn't want to go any further without, getting that stuff in there. But um, I I do think that Saru is going to have to resolve things with his sister. I do think that they're going to go back to Kaminar. I do think he's going to see her. I don't know if he'll see his father. I'm going to maybe theorize that his father may have been picked up in one of the last harvests or in a harvest Mm -hmm. at some point, because that's very reasonable. Um, And I suspect that he's going to have to deal with that. Um, uh, that's really all I can see at this point. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we'll meet some of the predator species or not. I almost kind of hope we don't mm-hmm. this time. I'd like to maybe revisit this place again, knowing what I know about Saru. Um, what about you? I like what you just said. I've always been one because we saw it in, um, uh, when they were at the planet with the, with the transmitter in season one, Saru's kind of badass when he needs to be. And yep. he's, he's strong and he's fast and he's the prey species. So I've always been very interested in seeing what the hunter species is. But what you just said, I agree with. I don't want to see them yet when they go back in season two. The whole idea of this short trek to see how Saru's voyage started was perfect. We're going to go back there. I agree with you. I think it's going to be in relation to the Red Angel. And then maybe later we can start getting really in-depth to see what that hunter species is like and what the entire dichotomy of the of the race because here's an interesting point. I've always been under the impression that um, on Kaminar, there were two species, 
doesn't look like that's the case. It looks like the uh, Baul are extraterrestrial to Kaminar. So it'll be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. And I hope we see it at some point, just not right away. I think that this may be one of the most courageous things Saru has to do is to go back home and explain to his sister why he left or why mm-hmm. he left her behind. And I think that's going to be one of the hardest things Saru has ever had to face. Could you imagine if it was reversed or uh, not reversed, but he goes home and his father is still there, but his sister was chosen for the harvest. That would kill him. It would. And that could very well be the case too. Yeah. I could see both one. I could see one of those two definitely playing out. And yeah. either way, I think that he's going to have to face up to something he never imagined he'd have to because he was always told he could never go back. Right. So Bill, three down, one to go. Uh, For the next and the final short trek, I'm going to raise a glass to you, my friend, and say, here's mud in your eye. Uh, Uh, (laughs) Let's hope it doesn't come to that, Dan. Next month, we return with the final short treks installment, The Escape Artist, which features the return of Harry Mudd, played, of course, by Mr. Rain Wilson, who also directed the episode, interestingly enough. Until then, do remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even by heading on over to discoveringtrek.com. Dan. Well, folks, that's it for now and Short Treks Episode 3. As always, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to us talk Star Trek Discovery. We will be back next month to talk a new Short Treks episode as well as the beginning of Season 2. And uh, this new Short Trek is going to have some new insight into the nefarious yet brilliant and lovable hardcore Fenton Mud. Until then, here are some words of wisdom from Dr. Richard Daystrom from The Ultimate Computer. And based on what we saw in The Brightest Star, this makes perfect sense. When a child is taught, it's programmed with simple instructions. And at some point, if its mind develops properly, it exceeds the sum of what it was taught and thinks independently. And until next time... Never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com. Thank you.